I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Lessons Episodes of Success Story, part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. These Lessons Episodes will be shorter conversations with past guests, valued members of the Success Story community, and myself. They'll be focused on teaching you actionable, insightful takeaways that you can use to upskill your personal and professional life. So the book he wrote, The Human Side of Innovation, it's interesting because when I think innovation incorrectly, I only think of how do I innovate the product? I don't think of design. I don't think of creativity. I don't think of brand. I'm like, how do I build something better than what already exists? But that's incorrect because that's not how people, that's not how people purchase and how people communicate. People need a story behind the product. It's not just function and utility. There's always a story. Now, whether or not it's something you create or whether or not if you don't create it, then the, then the customer is going to create a story in their head about that product. So talk to me about the human side of innovation, the side that we should focus on that you've built your entire career around. What is the human side of innovation? What is, how does design and innovation intersect? Look, there are, first of all, two dimensions of this humanity in the world of innovation. And, and they are somehow clarified in the subtitle, people in love with people. The first dimension is the second people in this sentence. Essentially the fact that we need to refocus all our innovation, innovation efforts on the human being, on creating value for people real value, not value for the company, economic value, value for people first. We can talk more later about what I really mean with that. But the second dimension is the first set of people, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the designers of the world. And love somehow summarizes everything that these people do for the other people. Why design? I mean, 
And this is the big misunderstanding about the word design in our society. A lot of people think that design is aesthetic. Somebody think that is form and function. When we're lucky, you start to associate the aesthetic factor to the function. Uh, design can be applied to different dimensions. You study industrial design or product design, you design products. Uh, you study brand design and communication, you design packaging, communication pieces, eventually more and more there is the digital world, you design fashion, you design clothing. So you can apply design to different kinds of substrates, to different kinds of objects and solutions and, and, and experiences and brands. But in general, the designers, they all do one thing. This is what you study at school. At school, they teach you to observe people, understand their needs, their wants, their frustrations, their dreams, and figuring out solutions for them. This is the number one focus. That's why, for instance, at design school, we don't call these people consumers. We don't care about them consuming our products or buying our products. We call them people, eventually, eventually users, because we focus on the, the use of our products. But what drives us is not to sell them stuff, is to create value for them. Now, these needs, all of them, all together, the needs of humanity, can be summarized and decodified in the Maslow Pyramid. From the bottom, physiological needs, safety needs, all the way to the middle, uh, self-expression, sense of belonging, connecting with others, all the way to the top of the pyramid, transcending yourself, something bigger than you. The summary of all these needs creates what we call happiness. If we fulfill all these needs from the bottom to the top, we reach our happiness. And this is our life. Our journey in life is to reach the kind of happiness. So designers essentially are trained at school to create fragments of this broader social happiness. If the world will be driven by designers and not by business leaders and not by other kind of profiles, we will have a happy world. Now, designers are also taught at school that on top of this dimension of the human being, what we call desirability, you need to consider two other dimensions for your product to go to market. Because at the end of the day, designers create products that are uh, producible in scale and you can sell. Else they are artists and is another kind of discipline. So they're taught there are two dimensions, additional dimension, feasibility, so you need to understand technology, science, data, you know, to make these things a reality. And then viability, you need to understand the business model. And so these three pillars are the pillars of design thinking, desirability, viability, and feasibility. The human factor, technology, and business. Or translated in the vernacular of these companies, big and small, is what these companies call innovation. Or eventually, if the desirability is the primary focus over the other two variables, this is human-centered innovation. So design is nothing else than the only education, the formula to drive innovation. There is nothing else. If you study business, you study the viability part, eventually they they teach you something about the desirability component, even though they look at that as a again a level of the marketing mix, a lever 
to succeed, but not the only one. You may succeed with a very mediocre product because you are able to use the other levers in a great way and you are still a successful business leader. Um, but they don't teach you mathematics, physics, material science, you know, hardcore technology. If you study technology, if you study chemistry or biology or engineering, they don't teach you the human factor, anthropology, semiotic, human science. So in design school, they teach you these three dimensions. The problem is that then all these designers get out of school and they go in companies and companies trap them in a, in a very niche definition, job description. They ask them to be aesthetic stylist, to design the aesthetic of a product. And again, sometimes if you're lucky, it's form and function, but rarely they're leveraged for what they can really do. And so one year, two years, five, 10, 15, 20 of these, at the end of the day, also these designers forget what they learned in school and they lose their way. Some of them try to change the system. The dreamers, you know, this is what happened to me. I was like a naive dreamer at 27, I entered 3M in Italy, in the periphery of the American empire. I was not hired in St. Paul, Minnesota. I was hired in Italy as a design coordinator for the consumer business. It was one of the six businesses of the company just for Europe. So imagine it was anyway a small part of the big business. And here I am with this dream of changing the way 3M does innovation, leveraging design thinking, infusing human centricity, obviously was a nice dream. You know, and I, I say this in the, in the book, if you don't have a dream, you nev you'll never be able to make it come true. And so you need a dream, and a dream is by definition naive at the beginning. And by definition, you will face so many people that will try to stop you from dreaming. They will laugh about your dream. They won't understand your dream. But the real innovator is the one that keep pushing, no matter all this resistance from the system, but also trying to connect the dream with the reality of the business, of the processes of the company, of the uh, reality they live in. This is what they do. They combine the dream with execution and operations. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.